We lived our lives. I'm not saying every decision you made was wrong. I'm saying you were, you had a sinful nature. And so it wasn't activated on by God. Jesus never lived inside you then. But by, sorry, uh, you, however, were controlled by the sinful nature. Uh, you were not, sorry, start again. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. That's Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. So that's the first entrance. We are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And it says the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And we've got to stop. We must stop in our Christian faith and ask ourselves some questions. What does this mean? That God's Spirit lives inside of me. Well, for a start, it means you're not like anyone else on the planet that hasn't come to Christ to receive him. Because God's Spirit is not living in them. Goes on to say, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to Christ. Having accepted Christ as your saviour, you now belong to Christ and the spirit of Christ is in you. Now this is interesting. In those couple of lines, he said, the Holy Spirit lives in you, the spirit of God lives in you, and the spirit of Christ lives in you. Well, there's only one spirit. The three are one. So the Holy Spirit and the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ as you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, have come to live inside of you. The Trinity of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, lives inside of you. It goes on to say, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. The way that you used to live your life is now finished. The way of living with sin controlling is now dead. And now the righteous one lives inside of you. Christ is the righteous one, and he is living inside of you. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That's to say, just as Christ, his body, physical body, was raised from the dead, when you die, your physical body will be raised from the dead. But it also says, it now gives life to your mortal body. Christ lives in me. That is a reality is not a, a concept or an idea. It, it isn't something that uh, is figuratively speaking. Christ himself lives in me. So Christ can do nothing unless we allow him to work through us. A poor man remains poor unless someone comes and helps the poor man. A hungry man remains hungry and a thirsty man remains thirsty and a person imprisoned remains lonely unless Christ visits them or feeds them or clothes them and the Christ I'm talking about is the Christ in you.
It says in Matthew 25, let's go there. It's, it's the other half of the coin in a way. Matthew 25, Jesus has got a number of parables he's sharing. They're sort of end time parables. The first one is the parable of the ten virgins where he's telling us to be prepared at the end and not to be complacent. Then he goes on to the parable of the talents where he calls us to be responsible in the world, especially towards the end time, not to be lazy. And then he moves on to the third parable, which is the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, it takes some application, and I'm not going there theologically with it, because there are several ideas about this, who the goats and the sheep are, and who Jesus is talking to, and everything else. But there's just one principle I want to draw out. But I will read it to you from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit down on his throne in the heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I am hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink... When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Now, the, the, the reply is so important. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Now, we know what this means, don't we? It means you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you, so listen carefully, because this is vitally important. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, these are brothers of Christ. Something had happened inside these people that they came into relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. I am Christ's brother. I wasn't born his brother. I was born again his brother. And so I am Christ's brother. Now this is what he says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. That means Christ was in the brothers when the ministry happened. If I go to my sister here, and I talk to her, and I comfort her, I'm comforting Christ. Do you get that? Christ lives inside of her. And Christ lives inside of me. There's something wonderful here. The Christ in me is ministering to the Christ in her. You know when you meet a genuine Christian, you know you've met one. You know why? Because the Christ in one meets the Christ in the other. So the question is, 
When did I speak to the lonely and isolated? When I spoke to Iris. Understand? If you did it to the least of one of these, not that she's the least, and I am embarrassing her, but she doesn't really mind because she quite likes me. <laughs> I'm doing it to Jesus. I'm doing it to Jesus. The, the point I want to make is that Christ dwells inside of you. Christ lives inside of you. Whether you're a recipient or one that provides the ministry, Christ is receiving from his brothers, and when we give, we are giving, because we are allowing Christ to operate through us. Hebrews 10 and verse 16, we read there a prophecy that's brought from the Old Testament into the New. This is what it says in Hebrews 10 and 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and I will write them on their minds. Now that is a quote directly from Jeremiah. We could put that one up here now. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. This is what it says. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. In the Old Testament, the people lived at a distance from God. God could not enter into his people. He could not live on the inside of them. He could not dwell inside of the lives of the people. But a time was coming, he said, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. When Christ comes and dies for us, it will be possible that Christ himself can come and enter into us. To have his law in our hearts and on our minds is to have Christ come and live with us. And see what he goes on to say. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Wherever he uses that expression, I will be their God and they will be my people, it illustrates Christ living in the centre of his people. So if we go to the Old Testament and we look at the scene of the children of Israel in the wilderness, what we see is all the tents around. We see the sanctuary of God in the middle, and we see God living in the holiest of holies with the the smoke and, and, and the fire and everything coming out. It's a picture of Christ living in the middle of his people. Or God living, or the same, we could say. So what we have now is Christ living in the very heart of us. He dwells in here. You see, often in our language, we are reaching out for a Christ to give us something when Christ is inside of us. I shared the other week about peace. You cannot pray for peace. It is impossible to pray that God will give you peace because the Prince of Peace lives inside. So how can you get more peace than have Christ, the Prince of Peace, inside you? What you do, you lose your peace. So to find your peace again, you have to come to the realisation that the Prince of Peace dwells inside. As soon as you understand that, peace is restored to your heart. So stop praying for things as though God is at a distance. 
You're trying to get something from God to bring it into your life when it exists on the inside of you. Christ, you can't get any more. If he said, I freely give you Christ, won't I freely give you all things? You have all things. Because you have Christ. And Christ is our all in all. And he exists on the inside of us. Now, I'm going to have to bang this out a few times. I understand that. But we have to do a paradigm shift here to understand who we are in Christ. And to understand that the God of the universe lives inside us. This isn't some religion, Christianity. It isn't a paltry faith. It isn't a means by which we somehow worship God. God himself dwells inside of his church, his people. It's mind-blowing. You would never be miserable again. You would never pull a sad face. You would just have to meditate on this stuff and realize that he dwells within the God of the universe dwells within. See, what happened at salvation, that Christ came and lived inside of my heart. So when God looks at me, a sinner, he sees Christ in my heart, and I become acceptable in his presence. But can I say it's more than that? See, in your mental picture, there's Phil, and he's a sinner, and Christ is now in his heart. So God looks into the heart, and because he sees Christ, he accepts Vinny. No, it's even better than that. Christ has been absorbed into my life. He's absorbed into me. That means when God looks at me... He sees Philip with Christ absorbed into Philip's heart. And Christ kept the law. He didn't break one part of the law. He is righteous and holy and pure. And his righteousness and purity has been absorbed into my heart. And the sin has gone. The darkness has gone. The old nature has gone. And Christ is absorbed into my heart. Say, what are you making all the fuss about? I've got to make a fuss. Christ is here. So when Christ looks into my heart, because that's what he's looking at my heart. He's not looking at my hands or my feet. He's looking at my heart. And Christ has now fully absorbed himself into me. So he sees that I am the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. That's it. We mustn't spend our lives trying to stop sinning. Oh, what a futile, stupid waste of time. We've got to wake up to the realisation that Christ has absorbed into me the righteous one. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's it. Will I make mistakes? Of course. Will I get it wrong? 
of course. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the relationship I have with God through Christ entering in to my heart and my life. So he wants friends. Of course she does. But knowing that Christ lives inside supersedes all of that. Because sometimes you have to wait for a friend. Sometimes friends are there and you don't fancy them, so you push them away. I understand that. Sometimes we like to be isolationists and we push friends away and we say, oh, I wish I had a friend and we're doing everything to push the... I'm not saying that of you, Zoe, no, for one minute. You know what I mean? We're funny creatures. But friend or no friend or waiting for a friend, Christ absorbed in our heart is wonderful. He longs for that relationship with him. We seek the presence of God in a meeting I tell you something, he ain't in a meeting. The presence of God is inside you. And if you can't find him there, tough. You've got to find him there. You've got to wake up to the realisation that Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells with inside you. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Oh, I'm going to have to accelerate through this. This is the heart of my message. It says this in Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, are you united with Christ? Are you united with Christ? You say, I am. What does that mean? It means he has entered into my heart and the two of us now have become one on the inside. I have a a unity with Christ that isn't an external one. It isn't that I read his book or talk to him or sing to him. It is that he has come to dwell on the inside of me. That is the unity I have with Christ. If any comfort from his love, him being in will comfort you. If any fellowship with the Spirit, he will fellowship with you. If any tenderness and compassion, he brings them into you, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Think like God. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. That's not possible unless Christ dwells inside. Do you understand? I'm better than all of you. Of course I am. You say, you arrogant, arrogant man. That's what a sinner is. He's an arrogant man. But when Christ dwells in me, I consider every one of you better than me. I would die for you. I wouldn't, but Christ in me would die for you. That's the whole point. That's what he's proved. We would lay down our lives for one another. Some of us wouldn't even pick up the phone for one another. You see, we've got to realise that Christ has come and he's absorbed himself into us. It goes on then in the next 
few verses. In verse 5 it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. How is it possible to have the same attitude as Christ? Only if Christ were to come in. And he has. He dwells on the inside. And then it says what that attitude is. Not to consider equality with God and to humble ourselves, become obedient even unto death, the death of a cross, and then he will exalt us. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, start again, Philip. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is the salvation of souls in a sentence. It is God who works on us, but we have to respond to what God has done. You could not get saved unless God came to work his salvation into you. But God needed you to respond to his invitation for you to be saved. Now, historically the church has been happy dividing itself into two camps. Whole denominations are built up on the basis of predestination, it's all by God's will, man does nothing, God has to do everything, overboard on that. The other one says, no, it's not like that at all, it's the free will of man, God wants everyone saved, we choose and we allow God to work in our lives. The truth is, it's both. He works and we respond. Here's an example, if you go to the doctors with some disease... And he says, I recommend these drugs that you take. They will help you. He's finished his part. You have to take them. If you don't, you might die or get worse. He won't pour them down your throat. So God offers us and we work it out with him who's working himself in us. There's three parts to salvation. Do you know this? The first part says that you were saved. When you accepted Christ as your saviour, he dealt with the consequences of sin in your life. It's dealt with forever. Now he's trying to save us from ourselves. We call that sanctification. He works in us so he can work out through us. But it's your cooperation with him that makes it all work. Then in the end we will be saved because one day we will come back and he will usher us into heaven. This work of the Spirit within then is important. I'm going to pick on an example and you're all going to think I'm having a go at you. Well, I am in a way. So brace yourself for it. But I know guilt doesn't work. I can make you feel guilty, but by dinner time it'll have worn off and you'll revert back to who you are as a person. I understand that. But we have to look at things, don't we? We have to, we have to face them. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, or my, my dear friends, as you, was always, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. I thought of an illustration for this. If I stayed with you Saturday night 
you would assume I'm going to church Sunday morning. Yes? Okay, why? Well, you're the blooming pastor, you should go to church. <laughs> I understand that, okay. Or you could say, well, <laughs> actually, we pay you to be there. That's part of the deal, that you turn up on a Sunday morning. I get that as well. See, Paul says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. See, when Paul was on the scene, people acted differently in the presence of Paul. Now he says, listen, I'm not there now. You have got to act in the way that Christ would have you to act. He's on the inside. This is my illustration. You wake up Sunday morning, you go, oh, I don't know if I go to church today. You go, um, had such a busy week. I'm tired. I had a late night last night. I'm tired. I'm not doing any ministry there, there, there. I'll, they won't miss me if I don't go. I, I don't have to go to church. We're under grace now. I can just go or not go. Whatever the case may be, I'll make that decision. Now, you didn't talk like that when I was visiting you last Saturday because you came. But now this Saturday night, Sunday morning, you've got a different agenda. Okay, now I understand that. You, you, don't, you don't have to come to church to be saved. That's dealt with. You come to church so you can be transformed. But Christ lives inside you. It's not, is that not right? So when you wake up that Sunday morning and have this debate with yourself whether you want to come or you don't want to come and how you feel about it, have you ever considered whether Christ wants to come to church? <laughs> I've convinced you he's living on the inside. So when you say, oh, I think I'll have a lay-in this morning, Jesus, what do you, do you want to lay in, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, I want to go to church. I want to meet my brothers and sisters. I want to sing worship songs to my father. I want to break bread with my brothers and sisters. I want to listen to one of Philip's excellent sermons. Of course I want to go to church. But you don't let him. Because you won't get out of that bed and go. You sinner. <laughs> you stop Christ doing what Christ wants to do. I'll have another go at you. you alright? I did that one alright, didn't I? You got it. You don't feel guilty. But you know the truth. Yes? That's the point. You look at your watch. You say, it's 25 past 10. we got plenty of time. You haven't. You're late. You should be here at 25 past 10. Not on the way. Not thinking about it. Not getting your coat on or eating your breakfast. You are late. You say, it doesn't matter. You ask Jesus if it matters. Say, so, Jesus, do you mind if we're late for church? He'll say, not again. <laughs> See, Jesus is perfect, yes? And so he's always here on time. You say, I don't care about you, Jesus. I'm always late for everything. 
and I'm late for church, so I don't give a monkeys about you, Jesus. You'll get there when I get there. That's what you say to Jesus, isn't it? No one has to be late, do they? You say, well, I'm that sort of person. But Jesus isn't. Jesus arrives early, never late. God is never late. Therefore, Jesus is never late. You're late because you don't care about Jesus on the inside of you. Is that true? Now, does that mean you'll all be early next week? No, of course not. Yeah. If it was as simple as that, I would preach sermons like that every week and I'd bash you into shape. No, 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 no. It's the work and the realisation that Christ rules. You know that song we sing about the spirit breaking walls down? Where are those walls? They're in here. They're nowhere else. The only wall to the Holy Spirit is the wall in you. Break these walls down. Heaven come down. Come down where? It ain't going to come down in this school. It isn't going to come down in Britain. Heaven comes down into your heart and rules and reigns in you. Now the king already is in your heart. But you're ruling as well. That's why you're late. That's why you absentee yourself as often as you do. That's it. Thoroughly told off. But in a way, I hope that's acceptable. We sing about this glorious truth. Remember that song, we don't sing it no more. There must be loads. I'm sorry, Daff, it's an old song. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Don't worry, I won't try and sing it. That's too much for you to bear. <laughs> it's no longer I that liveth, but it's Christ that liveth in me. Do you believe that? How many times have you sung that? Well, if Christ does live in you, you must consider him and what he wants, not what you want. You can't say, I don't like this situation, I'm going to act in this way. You've got to say, Jesus, what would you do here? Because I'm forcing you to come to a place where you don't want to go. Just go down the pub and have about six pints. You come in, Jesus? Ah, don't think so. Can we do something else? I'll go down the pub and have one, but you don't watch the conversations because you're taking me with you because I'm living inside you. He's not, he's not seeking to bind you up and make your life miserable. He's seeking to liberate you. I've got caught by this song, Be Thou My Vision. Do you know that song? There's a line in there, it's great. It says, you're my great father and I'm your true son. You dwell inside me Together, we're one. When I meet you, I'm meeting Jesus. I appreciate that. When you meet me, you're meeting Jesus. So before you tell me off, 
Okay? Remember who's there. Okay? Remember. Remember. Christ lives inside of us. And we need not hamper him in the world, but we need to release him through us. God bless you.